God, I don't know how to start this. Sometimes I have too much caffeine and it makes me not believe in myself at all. Sometimes too much caffeine makes my chest feel like there's this void, like my heart has a hole in it. Sometimes too much caffeine makes me feel like an NPC. Or it's like, what if I'm not real? What if I'm just a bunch of energy and there's nothing on the inside? It's a very interesting opposite of doing acid kind of feeling. Um, welcome to this week in sparkling water. My name is Joachim Eriksson, and I'm the host of This Week in Sparkling Water, episode 94, I think. Um, these are very political times. I hate talking about politics on the podcast because who am I? You know, I work in a restaurant. What do I have to say about politics? Write what you know. So I think the only thing I can say is what it feels like emotionally. And, um, yeah, it's tough. Roe v. Wade was overturned and then... You sit with it, and I think my first thing is like, I think maybe I have a flow chart of, of uh, how to deal with stuff. And the first question is like, is there a silver lining that we can focus on? And then if you can't find a good silver lining, just find a bad silver lining. The thing here is that I don't think that there's any silver lining. Yeah, I don't think that there's any silver lining. So then you go, next step is like in AA, we have, there's this concept of like, live life on life's terms, which really isn't that complicated. It's just like, in the end, we have to accept that we're living in the world we we're living in. We're not living in the world we want to live in. And we have to just be okay with that because we really don't have a choice. Um, yeah. I think one early thought I had about Roe v. Wade being overturned is like that I think it's silly to see it as this dramatic change because it's really, it's not like we were taken from an, a, a situation where everything was good to a situation where everything is bad. Like things, things were already terrible because uh, now we're getting into it, but, but it's like I'm barely going to get into it and then I'll get back out of it. It's like what we what we want is a situation where everyone feels like kind of safe and well informed and where people make smart choices that are like really well informed and then when they all those choices are supported by different services and stuff and I think if you look at Alabama right before Roe v Wade is overturned I think everything is already garbage like people are already making terrible decisions and people are not well informed and they don't have access to good services and and there's like barely any abortion services anyway and i think it's like very inc it's much more incremental than than it felt like there for a moment but but then you try to hold hold on to that as a sort of silver lining and then it really gets away from you cuz it's like nah it is big though it is big and it's terrible and it's like it's been incremental towards worse and worse. And then this is a big new iteration here. You know, it's like, 
we were at version 1.0 and then one version 1.1 and 1.2 and 1.3 and then now we're at version 2.0 of shitty and it's and then you get to the other thing where it's like it's just going to get worse so sidebar i um i saw this <laughs> i saw this this funny video on the internet that lilith posted where it's like it's a woman filming a street pro, pro, protest and the woman filming is like a pro-lifer and she's filming a sort of drugged out looking hipster guy with with some eyeliner and like the the you know the movements of a drug drug user he looks cracked out and then they're arguing and and he's like but what if the woman gets raped what if a 16-year-old woman gets raped is she supposed to keep that and then the pro-lifer who's filming the video is like but that's a baby <laughs> and then the guy you see the guy do a weird movement where he like hunkers down and his leg goes really far behind him and you're like is he about to dance and then he swings around and he roundhouse kicks her <laughs> And it's like, wow, okay. And it's like, you see that and... Like, that's not good. But you see that and... Ladies and gentlemen, that's called a guilty pleasure. That's what that's what's called a guilty pleasure. Because it's like, wow, that's not good. We shouldn't be roundhouse kicking people, but... But she was being annoying. And everything is shitty. And you just want to act out, you know? Oh, man, that's a guilty pleasure. (laughs) I watched that video a bunch of times. And it made me feel horrible. Because I don't know that I... Like, I wouldn't want that cracked out guy with eyeliner to be president. Like, that's not my point. He might not even have better opinions than, than her, you know? It might all be shit. Because the thing that really breaks my heart is now any sort of centrist statement is uh, can be understood as disloyalty to what's right. Because I really believe that abortion is just another form of health care. And it's like making it illegal is crazy. And But I also believe that abortion is like a bad thing. That's like heartbreaking to a woman. And emotionally turbulent. And that men are really responsible and men should do a lot of things to avoid putting women in situations where they have to get abortions and stuff. And having the conversation about the legality of abortion is like the most base conversation. It's just the lowest level. And it's so sad to have a conversation on that level. Um... Yeah. So getting back to like the, I think the only thing I shouldn't talk politics, I should just talk about emotions. And, and I think one emotion I've had, it's like an emotional wake up to the fact that, that what we have perceived, what people like me, normal people with, I'm just going to use the term normal person with enlightened values. I've always it, it it has been for a long time now 
the perception has been that we're progressing, that America and the West, it's like progressing, and um, things are getting better. We're moving forward. Same-sex marriage is legal. We moved forward. You know, we're developing all these different things. The war on drugs, it's developing. We're decriminalizing. We're moving forward, moving to a more sophisticated and enlightened understanding of things. Abortion rights. But then now we're waking up to the fact that those 50 years, it wasn't so much that we were moving forward, maybe. Maybe it was just a pendulum swing. Maybe it was just one more pendulum swing. And maybe now it's about to swing back. And um, it's not that democratic of a swing back, but it is probably... There's so much rigidity to the Supreme Court, just the lifetime appointments and everything. And um, I mean... I will get to a point of how I feel about it, but but it's what I was gonna what I was thinking about is that there's kind of like two outcomes, I guess. It's hazy, but there's two basically two things that can happen. Either the people on the left in power do something kind of drastic and and change the landscape of of the Supreme Court by doing this thing called packing the courts and adding more seats, and then you can get to something which is really just maintaining the status quo of like. You know, maybe get abortion rights back, maybe keep same-sex marriage legal. Or, and it seems much more likely because the changing things with the Supreme Court seems extremely difficult, especially when it's 2022 and the midterms are coming up in a few months and and the Democrats are not going to be in power. Um, it's just going to be a rollback of things and kicking all these things back to the states. And then the, the thing is... Um, It's very possible that in America, the states are now going to become much more different from each other. So there's this concept. There was this book that came out 20 years ago called The Big Sort. And it's about this guy lamenting how Americans are clustering with people that agree with them in neighborhoods where they end up just living next to people that agree with them. So you get this these like strongly polarized neighborhoods and states it, it's on every level but but people end up only interacting with people that they agree with and stuff but so when i heard about that book i remember hearing about that book a long time ago and i remember being like well that's obvious and then moving here 6 years ago i remember being like super surprised by how not sorted people were that even living in seattle you still all the time are talking to people that are like all over the place. Like, yes, Seattle has this like strong liberal slant, but I know lots of right-wingers in Seattle. You know, a third of my friends in Seattle were right-wingers. And, you know, I worked at a diner for a while and it's like, yeah, a diner is always going to fill up with fucking Trump supporters. Doesn't matter where that diner is. Build it and they will come. Dine it and they will trump, you know? Even if you're in Seattle, I, I, I remember wearing my, on um, football Sunday for brunch, sometimes people would wear like a Seahawks jersey. They would wear like their football jerseys. 
um, while serving, while being a waiter in a restaurant, serving all these people, having brunch and watching football on the TVs. And then I was like, well, that's pretty cool. I don't know anything about football, but I went on eBay and I, I bought a knockoff um, Colin Kaepernick. I must have mentioned this on the podcast before, but I bought a knockoff Colin Kaepernick. Um, what's what's the team? SF? It's, it's, a, it's San Francisco and it's red, but, you know, I don't know anything about it. The Raiders? No, I don't know anything about football. But So I buy this and I wear it and I took a picture and whatever. And the funny thing is that um, David, my sort of step cousin who lives in California, I mean in Canada, he um, he grew up in San Francisco and he saw it and and he was torn because he loves San Francisco, but he he hates Kaepernick. I realized, and he he was like, "Yeah, I knew I knew you were a good guy." We I have only met him once when I was like twelve, and and then and then we've just we're just aware of each other on on social media. And that's our whole interaction. And then <laughs> it's so funny because, yeah, because he saw me in a Kaepernick jersey and he decided in that moment to focus on how it's a San Francisco jersey. And he decided to be into it, even though he's not into Kaepernick. Um, but he's a good guy about it. Like I mentioned a few episodes ago. He's a good guy about it, and I would love to spend more time with him. Because I love it when we can just be grown-ups about it and just be safe safe with our... Like, sure enough about ourselves and our own opinions that we can coexist with each other. Because that's really what it is. It's like the fear... Being in a room with someone you disagree with and feeling fear is really a feeling of feeling like you... They might crack you. Like someone might crack. Things might go fucking bad. But if we can just feel like our internal core is it's safe, then we can be with people. I don't know. I don't know. It's very abstract. But so I, I what I was going to say is I worked in a diner in Seattle and, and I um, wore the Kaepernick jersey. And then the game comes on and they play the national anthem in the beginning of the game. And all these different people seated in my section whose server I was, without saying anything about my Kaepernick jersey, they like stood up and saluted the flag um, during, um, during the national anthem. Everything was so, everything is so like multi-layered and interesting in America because we had this enormous American flag in the diner and the owner was a little bit down the middle. She was like a self-help small business lady with probably some right-wing tendencies, but she was, but she married a Mexican guy and it's like, you know, it's complicated. Like that, none of that is simple, you know? Uh, she's probably a little bit of a right winger, but she bought an enormous American flag that she hung up in the restaurant on the day of the Pulse nightclub shooting. Because Seattle is like a big um, capital of gay America, you know, one of the big capitals. So the the shooting, the Pulse nightclub shooting where, where some maniac went into a fucking gay club and shot up and, and just murdered a bunch of people in a basement... That was a very dark day in Seattle. And it was like, Seattle was very upset, even though it's 
the other corner of America. Seattle was very upset because it, it happened to gay America. And then that was the day when she decided to buy and hang this enormous American flag. And the, it felt good. Like it wasn't like as when I'm saying it now, it feels like that imagery could have meant like, well, fuck the gays. This is America. But it didn't mean that. It meant like we're still America and the gays are welcome. And this is our flag. And this is the real flag. And America has space for the gays. And it felt good. And, and then we kept that flag up. And it was like an enormous flag to have indoors. But we kept that flag up. And it's weird because then as more time passed after the Pulse shooting, it's like <clears throat> it, it wasn't obvious to everyone wh why that flag was there. And then it, it morphed over time to a more, I don't know, to a more um, to imagery that could feel a little bit more um, right wing. And then years later, or sometime later, I'm wearing my Kaepernick hoodie and, and they're saluting this flag that we put up. And if they knew that we put it up in honor of the Pulse nightclub shooting, maybe they wouldn't salute it. But I mean, it's the same flag, so they would. But, but it's complicated, is all I'm saying. But no, what I'm really saying is that was in Seattle and everyone in that room was a fucking Trump supporter, you know? And they hated me for for wearing a Kaepernick hoodie and, and then some of them weren't Trump supporters and some of them some of them tipped me zero dollars that day and some of them tipped me forty percent that day and it all equaled out, you know? Um Yeah, so what I was what I was saying is that I was always after actually moving to America, I was always super surprised of how the big sort hadn't happened to the degree that I was guessing that it would have happened. Americans just seem to hate each other, always. Like Bush, you know? W. Like that era seemed like a super crazy era where from the outside, I was living in China, from the outside, um, it looked like there was this one layer of Americans that were like, the liberal elite and they fucking hated this other layer and somehow this other layer of fucking mouth breathers um like the inbred rural people they there was enough of them that they voted and and they got their president or whatever and it seemed like americans hate each other so they must not be living next to each other at all and then when i moved here in 2015 it's like I was so surprised that people still live shoulder to shoulder. And then what I'm feeling about it now is that, and these trends are slow, like now it might really fucking happen, huh? That, that should really be what, what happens now. That feels bad. That feels, that feels really bad. If all the states become really different and only the coastal states retain the laws that we have everywhere now we're like you know discrimination just oh god like who would want to be but what i've been feeling for the first time ever is that maybe i don't want to stay And I, that's something I've always said. I've said that out loud as a joke many, many times, and it's always been a joke because I'm like, nah, this is cool. I like it here. But I I moved to America in, in um, like December of 2015 or something, 
and then 10 months later the election happened and and um Hillary lost or whatever so I moved here when Barack Obama was president and everything was all all perfect and then <clears throat> Trump won and I was like fuck and then I I always had this joke that like yeah fuck this place because people are always asking me like when they find out that I'm from Sweden they're always asking if I'm a citizen or more commonly actually they frame it as like so when can you become a citizen and it's like bitch I could become a citizen yesterday I don't wanna and then I riff on that and I say some funny things about how I like to keep my options open and it's always a joke cuz I'm not planning on going anywhere and now it might not be a joke anymore because man this sucks and then I'm always, <clears throat> I always opt for disattachment when I feel really, really bad about where America is going. And I just feel like I'm not from here and it's up to them to figure it out amongst themselves. And it's all good. And if they want to like try 50 years of not doing progressive values, and then after that, America can look at those 50 years and the 50 years previous and weigh these things against each other. And then we can come up with better solutions because in the long arc of history, we have to really experiment and we have to just be okay with that. And I, I, I just choose to, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Gen Z meme comedy on the internet is really sort of like the only way to process anything. Cause <clears throat> all the comedy now is just about how this is just a lo-fi nuclear war to chill to. Um, but um, the thing that I have found no way to disattach from is the environment, though. Like, this is not going well. We're going to really ruin this planet. Oh, we're going to ruin this planet, and that makes me feel so bad. Oh, climate angst. Oh, and then I got in an argument with some of my friends where they think Greta Thunberg, Greta Thunberg is how it's actually pronounced. They think she's like a, a weird corporate puppet, which is like so fucking sad. There are certain things in the conspiracy theories that are the most heartbreaking. Everything is heartbreaking in this world, but the highlight reel, the top three, the goats, are things like Michelle Obama is a man and Greta Thunberg is a corporate puppet. What's another one that makes me feel the worst? I mean, just Barack Obama being a pedophile is also one where it's like, oh, oh. Oh, God, that makes me feel so bad. Rumination. Um, yeah. I don't know. Let's drink a water. This time we're doing grapefruit. Ooh, that smells fresh. Okay, I didn't even introduce it. It's... Uh, the brand is called Mad Tasty. The flavor is grapefruit, pure sparkling water. We're bringing it back to the basics. Grapefruit. It's where we started. 20 milligrams of hemp extract. Um, 
Yeah, that's the kind of grapefruit you could drink every day for the rest of your life. It's low-key, and grapefruit is good as fuck. The hemp doesn't improve it, though, because the grapefruit always has, already has that smidge of bitterness that really balances itself. Oh, man. Who will want to live in the South? Oh, yeah, I feel bad about everything. So here's another one. The January 6th hearings were happening. Um, and then talking about that in terms of emotion, it's fascinating to me how there's such a strong feeling, belief and feeling, in the heart of enlightened normal people that shouldn't shouldn't the people that did fucked up things shouldn't they have to like recognize what they did shouldn't there be a reckoning shouldn't people like shouldn't people be punished just something it's like this amorphous feeling of like the people who like Donald Trump shouldn't they eventually have to fucking wake up to this and cry and then <clears throat> I was thinking, I was sidebar, or no, not sidebar, but like, let me start talking about a different thing and then I'm going to connect this back. It's like, um, I was, <clears throat> I've been working on, um, I kind of put my novel out there with a sort of um, beta version book cover and I'm working on the alpha, the 1.0 version of the book because I, I wanted a couple of people to read it so I could have them say something about it so that I could put that on the cover. So first I had to just have a, pl have a placeholder cover. So I'm almost done putting out the next, the final version, or like what I will call the second edition or whatever. And then I was going to send a copy to my old professor in Sweden, uh, Mikael Schönhals, who, and I talked about this last time, who wrote... Um, Mao's Last Revolution, a book about Chairman Mao and the Cultural Revolution. And <clears throat> so I was thinking about emailing him and, or maybe just mailing him actually a copy of the book with a note or whatever and be like, hey, because I, there's a lot of, of his writing in my writing. There's a lot, there's like basically a character based on him almost. So I, it, it's fun to make him read it and see if he can figure that out. <laughs> um, but, um, so I was rereading his book, and then I had this realization, and this is going to sound very extreme and stuff, but there is something to this, where like Chairman Mao in China was in power for decades, and he fucked a lot of things up. And the way people eventually fell out of love with him wasn't that his enemies made a good argument. It was that he himself made too many internally contradictory statements. Like there were too many internal contradictions in the things he himself said. So it was, there was too much of him saying, oh, I've picked this person. This person is going to be my right man hand. It is right man hand. This person is going to be my right hand man. 
and I've looked into the soul of this person and this person is flawless and perfect and I am perfect and I am perfect at judge of character and I'm judging his character and his character is perfect. And when you're in a cult of personality and you believe and love Chairman Mao as a member of your own family, you take all that at face value and you're like, oh, fuck, this guy? All right, I I'm going to project my love onto this guy too. And then they paint a big mural on the wall in your tiny dusty little village where you grow nothing but garlic in northern China or whatever. Whoever you are, maybe you live in a, in a village in the south where your village makes baskets and that's all you do. And you got a big mural and it's Chairman Mao shaking hands with his new guy that he says is the guy, his successor, his, his viceroy, whatever. And the fucking sun is in the background symbolizing the party or Mao himself or whatever, you know? Socialist um, art. Sorry, I had to check the time. Um, <clears throat> and then what happened over and over, three times, four times, five times, is that the guy would disappoint Chairman Mao. Chairman Mao was very fickle. He was very emotional in his HR philosophy. He didn't have much of a... The Chinese Communist Party at the time didn't have much of a human resources department. And so he would fire people. He would throw them out. He would throw them in prison and he would torture them. And then he'd be like, that person fucking sucks. And I never said that person was a good person. And I always knew that that was the snake in the grass that he was a capitalist rotor. And this whole thing of how I raised him up to that level was just an elaborate plan to get him to admit his true colors. And it was all me playing a very, very complicated strategic long game. And I got him. We got him. Everything is perfect. He's in prison now. This is the new guy. And then he presents the new guy. And then he did that four or five or six times. The people always disappointed him. He would give them a task. The task wouldn't go well. Or there would be a huge famine and he would pin it on the guy or whatever. But it was always Mao's fault, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Mao eventually got sidelined. That's why he did the Cultural Revolution, whatever. That's a little bit of a different story. What I want to focus on is there's this thing that sometimes... Uh, people in academia refer to it as the Lin Biao moment. And it's sort of when you can sort of put your finger on it. Looking at like the five decades of, of Mao being alive and being famous and being a leader for the Chinese people, you can kind of put your finger on it. And it was when he ousted Lin Biao. Because Lin Biao had done... He'd been there from the beginning. He'd been a soldier in the in the fucking um, in the Red Army. He was part of the Great Leap. No, he was part of the the Long March. There was all this shit. Lin Biao was just this really solid guy, a John McCain figure, if you will, just a person who's really paid his dues in terms of suffering on the battlefield, and who then was discovered to have an enormous strategic intellect and really great character. So he was raised to a high level and allowed to just be a leader for, for big factions of the country. So um, Mao uh, made Lin Biao his, his second in command, and, and it was very clear that he was going to be the successor. And then <clears throat> he died in a plane crash, and it's very mysterious what happened or whatever. 
but then Mao came out and was like, yeah, Limbiao is a piece of shit. And that's when people just fucking couldn't do it anymore. They just, they were, there had, at that point, after decades of it, there had just been too many internal uh, contradictions. And people sort of lost emotional touch with it all, where they were too jaded and they just, you know, I'm sure millions of people fell out of love before that, uh, before that and millions of people after that, but all, a big bulk of the populace just, just kind of, they got the ick at that moment, you know? The ick is this thing that the Gen Zers talk about, like when a Gen Z girl sees her boyfriend eating a fucking microwave meal in front of his computer and it's all he's all hunched over and, and he's got a pimple and, and the blue light from his computer screen and is extremely unattractive and you look at him and you're less like, ugh, and you get the ick. And then after you've gotten the ick, it's over, man. It's over. You are not attracted to your boyfriend anymore. And that's what happened to Chairman Mao. He had a Limbiao moment and people just got sick of it. And there are many lessons or like there are many not lessons as much as you could take things from that and post questions about it and, and hold them up next to Donald Trump. Because on the one hand, you can just start out by saying, yeah, Donald Trump just speaks in contradictions and he doesn't give a fuck. And we could probably be do we could probably do decades of this before people get tired of it. Based on what we know from Mao, people can accept decades of internal contradiction and believing that he actually knows exactly what's going on and every failure is just his plan working perfectly. People can accept decades of that kind of um propaganda before they feel like nah this isn't it but but that's so that's on the one hand i'm hedging my bets here because that's possible it's possible that we are just are going to have decades more of this so let's just keep that in mind with everything but i also at the same time i feel like um trump just wasn't that good at stuff so I think that there's this other question slash slash less, lesson we can take from Mao. And it's this thing that the people of China never disavowed Chairman Mao. They just moved on. They just relegated him to history and found a new leader. And then they were like, yeah, Chairman Mao was this guy that did a lot of good stuff. And that's it. The, and no one ever, you know... Cultural revolution, very sort of meaningless exercise of him just trying to retain power and just wreaking havoc and destroying millions of lives. Something he did on purpose just for his own ego because his power was slipping. There was no reckoning there. And then we have, as sort of like enlightened normies in 2022, we have this very strong instinct or belief or desire. It's hard to know what it is. It's hard to know if it's a belief or a desire, but those things are very different, actually. And we have this belief slash desire that, oh, if someone does something bad, then eventually they are punished for it. 
eventually the people that listen to that guy who turned out to be a really bad guy, eventually those people, they have to admit to themselves that, that that was all fucking wrong. And it's like, I think if you look at history, that's the exception, bro. Like that's, uh, yeah, you look at the January 6th thing and you're like, Shouldn't these Trump supporters finally just wake up to something? But it's like, nah, you know what? You know what's going to happen? They're just going to be like, yeah, Trump was amazing, but Ron DeSantis. And Trump is just going to be this voice in the distance. And he might not be president. And he's never going to be punished. And his followers are never going to disavow him. And there will never be a reckoning. It's so crazy. There's like, it is mind boggling how bad we are at stuff. The enlightened normies. Um, like the number of times that we have felt like it should be over for him. Like we all remember... In his campaign, when he said Mexicans are rapists or when there was the Access Hollywood tape, it was so, like, there was such absolute surety that it was over for him. <laughs> the mind boggles. The mind boggles. And then no lesson was learned the next morning when Trump was still, Trump still rose from the ashes. And then... His entire presidency was just was just headlines being like, it's finally over for Trump. He's finally fucked up too much. And then the January 6th hearings happened, and then um, we're still in it. No lesson was learned. Yesterday I got two newsletters in my little inbox from random-ass outlets that I shouldn't, whose newsletters I shouldn't be subscribing to. <sighs> one is The Intercept, and then the headline is Cassidy Hutchinson's January 6th testimony was an Alexander Butterfield moment, which is so many annoying things all at the same time. Alex, Then we all have to Google who the fuck is Alexander Butterfield, and then apparently that's the guy who was a White House staffer who mentioned to the investigators that Nixon had was recording everything, that there were tapes. <laughs> Oh, God. Yeah. So it's over now. It's just that she doesn't have any tapes. And then the New Yorker also had this headline. This is the headline. Like This is from this week. We're five years into it, into this, and, and or more. Five or more years into this. And we're six years into this. And this is the headline. Cassidy Hutchington's testimony should be the end of Donald Trump. Come on, bro. How are we here? How are we trapped in this prison of our own belief? How is it that we cannot break free of this? Fill in the blank should be the end of Donald Trump. Well, the blank will never be filled in, okay? It doesn't work the way we want it to work.
And how, when are we going to start living life on life's terms? When are we going to start living in the world we live in instead of the world we want to live in? God, I hate being a prisoner. Let's do another water. Soul Ale. This one's dedicated to this person we just hired who works at the front desk at Holbrook, whose name is Soul Ale. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, she's nice. She's nice. She's a little bit of a hippie. And, and she started saying some shit about how she cooks all her own food. And me and Chef Eric are listening to this, and I'm like, I'm just like, hey, 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 stop, 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 stop. She starts talking about ingredients, and I'm like, stop, 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 stop. And I asked her if she was vaccinated, and she's like, yeah. Okay. And then we, I catch her at the front desk 10 minutes later, and she's like, I lied to you. I feel so bad. I'm not vaccinated. But I would have gotten vaccinated. I got the HPV vaccine. It's just that my friends got vaccinated, and they're still getting sick. And then luckily I had Kavika standing right there and he's like, well, it's, it's not a cure. It's just an immunity booster. You know, thank God I didn't have to say it, you know. It's statistics, bro. It's not, it's not a cure. It's about prevalence. It's about how, what's your probability of getting sick and how sick are you going to get? Oh, man. What am I learning here? Am I learning something? Am I getting really, really good at identifying if someone is an anti-vaxxer? Because I think, I think that's the only thing I'm learning. Ah, that smells good. Soleil grapefruit. Oh, that's a 10 out of 10. Oh, that's so light and so fresh and inexpensive. Signature Select, Safeway, their cheap brand. That is so fucking good. Yeah, I'm learning how to identify anti-vaxxers by only listening to them talk about food. And also, I'm learning something else. And it's really, it's interesting how connected it is to my emotional life. But I'm teaching myself how to program or not teaching myself. I'm taking a little online course. And it's so interesting how all of this is connected because I have made this mistake my entire life and I didn't realize until a couple of weeks ago and I talked about it on the pod that I de derive my entire, you know, tally or like calculation of self-worth. Like my entire sort of big picture judgment on myself is derived from what people say about me to my face in the last 72 hours. That's the entire thing. Like, you can say that I'm good, but if 72 hours pass, then I'm going to be needing someone else to say that I'm good at something because otherwise I got nothing left. I got nothing left in the tank. And both the time aspect of that and the outwardly outwardly aspect of that is something I need to work on because it shouldn't come all from the outside. I shouldn't be a slave to other people's, you know, throwaway comments about me. 
And then I'd also shouldn't need it to be incessant. I shouldn't need it to be like all the time. And then interestingly, I realized that I have this like fear related to money and poverty and and career and like losing my job and stuff. And as soon as someone at work says something that's not perfect about me, I get this like incredible fear that I'm going to get fired. And then I'm realizing that or like having another avenue it's so emotionally calming for me it's super fucking weird it probably is completely irrational actually as i'm saying it out loud it doesn't sound very sound or i don't know if that's true actually so what i'm saying is like i work in a restaurant and then someone says something slightly critical of me and then i get this strong sense of panic and then i manage to calm myself down by being like fuck it i'll just be a software developer and just fall back on how I am spending hours every day on this and it's going quite well and I'm actually really enjoying it. And I don't know if that's... It might actually be a financially healthy setup to just have a backup thing and a separate thing and maybe a long-term plan, but it might be a shitty emotional setup. Because really, it should be, man, I'm really talking this through. I'm really understanding this as I'm talking it through. Really, it should probably be that I should make myself more impervious to what people say. <clears throat> Statements made by people around me. It's interesting. I'm working on it. There is a person right now that I am... There's a subordinate that is giving me a little bit of a headache. And there's a little bit of arguing and there's a little bit of ungovernability. This person is making themselves kind of ungovernable and expressing a lot of negativity at me. And I'm really trying to use this as an opportunity to work on this. In a way, informed by something Doug said in the episode when I interviewed Doug, where he was like, we are people pleasers, and we're obsessed with having everyone like us, and we really care about what they think, but if we are right, we have to just be like, I don't actually care what you think, because I know way more than you about this, and this is a workplace, and this is a business, and... If you can't see that the fact that you have very little experience here and just hard terms and that you don't understand the big picture and if you don't understand what you don't understand, like if you don't notice your own limitations here and you're going to argue with me about something that you really should just be following orders, then that's, that's, that's the opportunity. It's under those circumstances that I will find a way to not care about what you think because you're just doing you and you're doing it poorly and I'm finding it very hard like I'm ruminating a lot on this on the negativity on the previous conflicts and on possible upcoming conflicts and I'm not being crazy because it is conflict every single shift so when I say upcoming conflict I know it's with high probability that it's coming 
oh, I'm going to be at work in 45 minutes and it's coming again. Um, but it's an opportunity to just take that conflict and have it be like, I don't know, maybe a lot of life is to just pick a couple of people that like you and that whose opinion you respect and just attach yourself a little bit to what they think about you and and take the energy that they project onto you and take that and put it in a box and put it in your heart and fill your heart up with it and then allow your heart to remain full for a long time with just small good things that they said. And like allow it to cultivate itself, you know? Oh, man. And then we can walk around in the fucking destroyed earth wasteland of a defanged EPA and a conservative Supreme Court fucking smokestack uh, hedge maze. And we can sit there in the dirt and we can just know inside of ourselves that we are okay. And we don't need the people around us to tell us that we are okay. Yeah. Fuck everything, man. Oh, God. I'm getting so much better at remembering positive things and focusing on positive things, but I did 30 plus years of the opposite. So every single day, though, many times, I will say out loud one of the th one of three things. I hate myself, I hate everything, or I hate my life. I will say that out loud to myself many times a day still. And I really feel it. Uh, I don't know, it's good to say that out loud on the podcast because it feels silly. Nah, it feels bad to say that out loud on the podcast. Everything sucks. Let's not pretend that things don't suck. Okay, third water here. So this is from the brand Sound. We reviewed one last week. Bright Bubbles, Bold Botanicals. Uh, sparkling Water with Tea and Botanicals. All of this, I'm into all of this. Like this graphic profile. Like I want to contact these people and have them design my book cover. Because I'm paying all these different people on the internet to give me suggestions and none of them are good enough um, grapefruit lavender ginger tea wow lavender now lavender is nothing if not dominant so oh wow difficult to open can wow smells like lavender yeah see you put three words on there grapefruit lavender ginger tea and you make grapefruit bigger font but I read them and I'm like lavender is going to be the boss here and then you drink it and it's like I mean grapefruit is there but you can't taste it it has become part of the lavender because this is a complex lavender flavor wow okay I don't love this but Lots of extra points for, for trying because that's incredibly 
strange and, and interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I guess, I guess everything sucks and that's all right. Hmm, I just wish that we could understand things. Like this is, this is like, enlightened normal people have this really, really strong desire to feel like you do a January 6th hearing and you have Republicans talking to Republicans about how fucked up it was. And then we all sort of talk about that and we accept the truth. But that's, we, we dress that up as a belief. Like we believe that that will happen because that's what, that's what seems the most likely, but it's not like, no, it's not a belief. It's not an assessment of what seems more likely. It's a desire. It's what we want. And I wish we could realize in ourselves that it's not a, it's not a rational interpretation of what will happen. It is a longing and then I wish we could be like, well, in reality, it doesn't seem likely. Because in history, that's always the... When bad shit happens, for there to be like some sort of like really <clears throat> transparent and harmonious tribunal where you cry about shit, that's the exception. Like that happened in South Africa, and that happened in after apartheid, I mean, and that happened in Germany after World War II, but it didn't happen in Japan after World War II. And the, the times when it happened, it's an exception. And it's much more common for there to just be a little bit of genocide. And then you just fucking move on and you never talk, talk about it again. Yeah. God damn it. And then you have people like Napoleon or whatever, where, who probably did a bunch of shitty stuff, but, but, 50 or 100 or 150 years later, what we remember is Napoleon as this like powerful leader. Now, what I'm wondering is like, was there something to Trump that people will think of in the distant future as like, what will the actual sort of, because people in the future don't give a shit. Like they don't give a shit about your feelings. They don't give a shit that he was rude. What will the... I think in the deep future, people will just be like, oh yeah, he was like this grievance populist who was like a very flawed person, but he managed to just be like an anti-hero for people. And so people voted for him. And then he just like really, really didn't adhere to any of the norms. And America realized in Trump that this is a country much more of norms than of laws and that there's a lot of dis oh man that lavender is weird that it gets really dysfunctional if you don't if you don't adhere to the norms I don't know yeah uh, this is a this is not a very good episode of my podcast because I I cannot not talk about politics and and it is I don't know anything about politics. 
But the politics is a stand-in for pain. I'm really just talking through my pain, but... I don't know. I don't have a good attitude. Like, I don't have a... I don't have a good standard operating procedure because like the January 6th hearings happen and then I'm I'm like oh I shouldn't be too plugged into politics so I shouldn't spend two hours listening to Cassidy Hutchington talking about fucking stuff so instead I I'm like oh so let's just lean away from it and just listen to like a 20 minute highlight podcast that breaks down the highlights or whatever and then I listen to so many of those podcasts that I spend two hours listening to other people talk about it and that sucks, because then I should have just spent two hours actually listening to the first-time thing and make up my own opinion. Because it seems fascinating. So then, now, tomorrow, I'm probably going to fucking actually watch the hearing. And then I've spent four hours on it. When it has very little bearing on my life. Yeah. Anyway, I love you guys, and... Um, I apologize for talking about politics the whole time and, and, you know, we'll get through it and next week I'll talk about something else. <laughs>